Happy Mother's Day. I, I don't know. I don't think I said that earlier. And uh, you know, it's it is interesting. You know, when you really reflect. I mean, my mom's been gone since uh, passed away about five years ago, and. You know, you still have these little things, one from lessons they taught, and uh, of course, obviously, uh, the grilled cheese after school, I always remember, you know, as soon as I get home, my, my mom was a short order cook, and uh, I didn't order her around, I was extremely respectful, but she would respond quickly, because uh, she just wanted, I don't know, it's just amazing uh, that I personally, Jane and I were talking about this morning, just that we had two awesome moms. And uh, I'm married to an awesome mom, and I am just thankful that uh, for Mother's Day. With that said, uh, one of the hardest things to do as a pastor is try to figure out what to preach on Mother's Day, <laughs> because I'm not one, and so that that's, uh, makes it a little difficult, so I can't speak from firsthand experience except having one and being around those who are mothers. But we are going to continue a little bit in our series of one And one of the things that last week we brought about was talking about prayer and how prayer brings us together. And Philippians 4, uh, 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God will pass, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And for some of you who maybe missed it last week, just in case, I may not do this every week, but just in case, we started a five-week kind of march to Pentecost, which will be June 5th, and through what we call half-million mobilization, those who know who we are a little bit know we're part of the Church of the Nazarene, and we are part of USA uh, Canada region, and half a million Nazarenes praying together over these next five weeks for protection, direction. A revelation, renewal, resurgence. I won't preach that sermon to you, but you want to know more about that, you can go back and listen to that. But I wanted to just say, you can either one, I don't think we have it on the screen, but you can download the app to follow along in that as far as the daily prayer request. There it is right there. But also, uh, I think we've got some books left out there. I'm not sure, but if not, a journals, I don't know if we do or not. They're gone. Oh, well, that's great because we made a lot of them. So that's a good thing that we don't have them. But if you want one of those, we hopefully maybe you could make some more. I don't know. But if not, go please look at the app and follow along there because there is something about doing this together. And I do know for some of you, if you were here last week, I'll just say this real quick. There was uh, definitely questions around the message from Dallas Willard. I'm glad. That's all I can tell you. Uh, I love when the fact when I could come to church. And, of course, for me, it was even before then. And just hear something that goes, okay, I have to pause. I have to process that. I have to think that out and go, okay, if that's true, that changes things. That changes even how I pray. And even though I've been a Christian for 36 years, that pause makes me go, now I'm engaging prayer differently. So if you were here for the first time last week and you've just now heard that, if you were here, if not, you can go back and listen to it. But if you've been a Christian a long time, I'm just so thankful that I don't get stuck and going, I can't hear anything else. 
I can't hear anything else. So today, I'm going to go back a few weeks, and because we're, it is Mother's Day, I'm going to talk a little bit today, if, it, if it's helpful about parenting, even though I know not everyone in here is a parent, I realize that, but I'm assuming everyone, everybody in here has been a child, that's one thing. And somewhere along the way, you're part of a family in some form, and you've either an aunt or, or, or maybe an uncle, or somewhere along the way, or an older sibling, but you somehow or another understand how vital and how critical of a window of time we're in. As I shared with you on Easter, and though some of you were here uh, that, that maybe you've come back, I, I don't preach this every Sunday, but I just want to remind us something I said on Easter Sunday. But why are American teenagers so sad? Why are American teenagers so sad? And we get this out of the Atlantic uh, in April uh, of last month. You could read the article. But it talks about social media use, sociality is down, the world is stressful. <laughs> and the reason I say that, and, and it's, I guess, always been stressful, just to clarify, it's always been stressful to some degree, but we have more access to the stressors than we've ever had. We hear more about it. It's in our face more than it ever has been. Like I said, I grew up in the 60s. There was a lot of stress in the 60s. But I maybe saw it on a newspaper, but didn't read much when I was like seven, eight, and read the paper much. And there was 5.30 and 6 o'clock news and maybe 10 o'clock if I was up that late. That was it. But today we're inundated with these stressors. They come at us really fast and from different angles. And you're trying to parse truth out of what is truth in the middle of all this. So it's just coming fast. And part of that is... Is not just the fact that children and teenagers are hearing it, but their parents are inundated with it, and they're kind of sinking down in it. And to think we do that in a vacuum is just silly. That how we deal with it, and how we process it, and how we talk about it, and that doesn't carry over to our families and our conversations, just a silly thought to think that that's the way it is. But the other one I mentioned that day was monitoring parenting strategies. And again, I'm going to do my disclaimer here again. I'm never going to write a book on parenting. Jan and I will not. We may write part of a chapter. We've said that before. So I'm not going to try to tell you today, but there are some things that I think may be helpful, and one that I hope to point out today, but one just, again, stepping back a few weeks ago. And this is a quote from them, and it's not up on the screen, but modern says, first, children are growing up slower than they used to. Today's children are less likely to drive, get a summer job, or be asked to do chores. The problem isn't that kids are lazy because lazy, homework time has risen or that scrubbing dis dishes magically dispels anxiety disorders. Activities provide children with two important things, tolerating discomfort, and having a sense of personal competence and value. And one of the things we came out of, and we've shared over the last few weeks, and one of the things I'll again remind you if you're new here, is we don't just believe in multi-generational, we believe in intergenerational. And we've been practicing that over the last few weeks. And, and, but one of the things that I came out of that week was 
was, I believe that missing the stories, missing the stories of transformation and faith are huge in who we are today as a culture, especially in the church. But one of the things that's happened over the last many decades, if you were raised in the 50s and again 60s and 70s and 80s, maybe in the 80s, I don't know, but in the 50s, 60s, almost every TV show showed this family that was somehow another part of the solution. Now, whether you believed it or not, I mean, whether it was Bonanza or or a father knows best, which I'm not sure that's uh, you know how all that works out, or leave it to Beaver, or whatever that was. Somehow, or other, the family was a very positive thing. But somewhere around the 90s, somewhere in there, that became that kind of got flipped on its head. The family was part of the problem. Family was the issue, and especially dads were the issue. And I know this is not Father's Day, so I won't preach on that. But most dads in those scenarios and those comedies or those uh, animations. The dad was the biggest buffoon. And even over the last many years, somehow or another, whether through, through social media or through news or through m- movements, that the nuclear family somehow or another is not part of the answer. So here we end up in 2022, seeing the last decade and looking at the family and asking the question, why are American teens so sad? It's the highest ever recorded. The prayer that I prayed of the quote of scripture I mentioned early about prayer, be anxious for nothing. Anxiety is an all-time high, not just in teenagers. Alcohol, maybe not an all-time high because we know there were seasons, but especially in the modern America it is in adult men and women. In so many ways, it's actually going down in teenagers, thank goodness. But anxiety is so prevalent, whether it's in our families and that's passed on to our kids. And as we look at it as a church, and the theme we've come hammering away at, if you will, or beating the drum on a better way, to, better way to say it, is this oneness. We're one but many. Today, there was families here represented, one family, one family unit, one nuclear family, if you will, whatever, however you want to phrase it. And I know not everybody comes to the table at the same place, but what I will say is you can't do it alone. And we as a church hope to be a place, as we've already quoted today, that you can come and say, okay, if I'm a part of that, I have a better shot at this. And the word kononia is we have used often in the church to talk about the fellowship of God, what the literal translation means to have intimate joint participation. So we come today on Mother's Day and should be an uplifting message, and I hope it is before it's all over with because what I've shared with you up front maybe not as uplifting. But over these last few weeks, I've been reading, and like many of you, I read through Scripture in a year. I try to, 
And sometimes you read stories that you've read before in the Old Testament especially, and you're going along and you read this passage of scripture and go, I hear this different. Not only what I said about Dallas Willard last week about prayer, but even when I read something like in 2 Chronicles 20. And I want to read it to you and I'm going to jump around. We want, the scripture won't all be up on the screen. But it's King Jehoshaphat is finding out that this vast army is being built and it's about to come against them. And so he goes to the people, he calls all the people together and he says basically what I would think is a prayer. And he says this, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before the temple that bears your name and cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It says, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. One of the biggest challenges, I think, in parenting is that we can read all the books we want to, and it doesn't explain all the things we need to know about each child. We've got four in our family. Each one of them is different. And one of the things I used to say about raising our kids, it's when you're raising the first two, you kind of can have a protection around your family. You kind of protect them from the outside. You can kind of control that. But by the time the, the, the third and fourth one for us came along, then the older ones were bringing things into the house that I was trying to protect the younger ones from all along. And now it was a whole different thing. Now we're at a different stage in our life. Now we have teenagers and little ones. And so you're asking, now how do I manage all this? And for us, we kept coming back to we turn our eyes to the Lord. Because there was no real clear answer, even though we could take programs, we could take all kinds of programs and, you know, and, and tell you if you just do this, this, and this. You know, Jan and I, like I've said before, uh, what I mentioned earlier, I know for many, your, your kids are in bed at a certain time, and I'm all for that. But for my, our kids, our kids, our children went to bed almost whenever. I'm not recommending that. But our lifestyle... The way we ran and the where we were in youth ministry and whatever, uh, I, I, they kept me young carrying kids out of the van in upstairs and put them in bed. Because again, you're just asking the Lord, I know someone else is doing this and I understand why they're giving this direction and why they would do that, but that's not us. That's not where we are. And so you continue to have to ask the Lord, how do I do this? And continue to turn to him. And so, Lord, I, I know there is a world that wants to take my kids. And, you know, and I know that can sound dark to some of you. A world that wants to take my kids. But all I know to do is to come before you and stand. As my kids, each night, 
I would try to lay hands on them and pray over them before they went to sleep. No, not before they went, after they went to sleep. All I knew was to put them before the Lord and do the best I could. But what I love about this passage of Scripture says, Then the Lord came upon one of the Levites, one of the priests, and he says, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm. Take up your positions. What is your positions? Well, we need to work that out, right? Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow. The Lord will be with you. Early in the morning they left, in verse 20, early in the morning they left for the desert to Koa. As they sat out, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went. Now, I know I'm putting a lot before you. It's not up on the screen, and I apologize for that because I was chopping this up. You can go look up Chronicles 20. If you don't believe me, you sure can read that later. But they were singing of the praises of God's holiness. They were proclaiming. Even though they were standing firm, they were out singing and praising and they helped destroy, and it goes on. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the vast enemy's armies. They helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked out towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. In other words, they turned on each other. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they had heard now the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Back to proclaiming the holiness of God, singing of all things. Why do we think singing is so important for us? We believe it's part of the marching orders we have. It's, I mean, it's like, it's like God putting the, the band out front, right? And I was reading this, and I'm thinking of King Jehoshaphat, and he comes to the point of going, we're desperate. A vast army has now mounted their way here. They're about to take us on. They're about to overrun us. We have to cry out to God. Have you ever been so desperate you cried out to God? Well, you really had not been consistently being in relationship with God. There just a moment in time came where you cried out to God. You were desperate. He was your last option. You tried everything else, and you began to cry out to him. I had breakfast with someone just recently, and I just, that had kind of been on a journey for the last five years who had really, really been following after the Lord, and all of a sudden, they were not doing it the way that I had understood it, and 
I sat with them at breakfast just a few days ago, two weeks ago, and extremely intelligent, process, detail. And for them to tell me, I went down all those paths, and I realized there's only one way to come back to this. I tried all the other trails. I tried to almost explain it away. But I came back here. His family's changing now because of that. Years ago, I was... We were on a mission trip in Arkansas, and I... It is one of those things, you've got a hundred things on your mind. We're taking, I don't know, at that time at Crossroads when we were there, taking 75, maybe 60 to 75 kids to Friendly Chapel, Church of the Nazarene there in North Little Rock. We'd been there a day. I get this phone call and it says one of my best friends from Texarkana, which I'd been gone at that time about three and a half years, said, hey, his son's here in the hospital. He's had head trauma. He actually hit a softball hit right off his forehead. He was a teenager, and a line drive hit him right off the head, and he's, he's in real trouble. Can you go and pray for him? So I'm already in Little Rock. I go to the Children's Hospital. I don't know if we have that up there. But, and those who know my story know the Arkansas Children's Hospital has a huge significance in our lives and my family's life anyway. So I go to the Arkansas Children's Hospital, and I pray for Jarrell. I pray like I've always prayed. I'm desperate. His dad's desperate. He said, I need you to come. I need you to, I need you to pray over. I need you to pray over him. He's desperate. I pray like I always pray. He got better all of a sudden. I hate to tell you this. I was surprised. I prayed. And he continued to get better. So what does my friend Billy do? He starts telling everybody that has head traumas in the children's hospital that this dude over here prays, and if he prays, there's a chance your child will get better. He was desperate. Now he's become an evangelist, okay? So what do I do? I said, Brother Paul, which is my friend there that many of you already know, I said, there's a young man and this parent said, okay, nothing else is working. We're desperate. We've tried the doctors. He, this young man had got hit by a car over at Shady Lake, a little, little lake in Arkansas where I was raised, and beautiful lake. And he got hit by a car at 10 years old. I think he had a massive head injury, was bleeding out. And uh, they, they didn't think he'd live to the end of the week. And it's like a Tuesday. And so Billy goes, hey, just ask them. Just ask them. Just ask them. Will you allow them, him to pray? Have, allow my, my friend who's a pastor pray over your son? And of course, for me, I'm like, man, don't do this to me. Don't ask me to do this. So I took Brother Paul. I said, man, I need help. I need you to come with me. We go into that ICU room. We lay hands on this young man and pray. I knew when we were praying something was happening. We both walked out of the room. We just looked at each other out of the ICU room and going, something just happened in there. Within a day, the boy had turned. By Friday, he went home. 
So I became the guy who prayed for head injuries. I got back to Arizona. There were people calling me to go and pray for people with head injuries. I didn't do anything. All I knew, I was available. But what I did know is these people were desperate. (laughs) And so I went. And I prayed by faith. And none of them were healed like the other two were. Ten years later, I have a young man who's in our youth group who is so precious to me, gets hit by a car on Chandler Boulevard. He is in ICU. I'm praying like I've never prayed before in my life. I'm with his dad, his dad and mom crying, beating tables in these conference rooms. It was, it was just so intense, and I'm praying for him. I'm so desperate praying for him, and he dies. And all I know is I kept praying the same way. They were desperate in those moments, and I understand it. But all I knew to do is just keep praying and continue to bring people before the table, before the Lord, and let him decide how this all works out. But one of the things that I've talked about prayer over these last many weeks, and especially last week, that has kind of sparked where I just want to close out today a little bit, is that prayer does not need to be the last thing we come to. Don't wait till you're desperate. Put it into practice now. And the Blaine Pascal quote from last week was, God has dignified man with causality. We have a choice in all this. And one of the things that prayer does, it enhances our opportunity to cause causality. It is one of those tools that God uses that we can come before. If God can do it, prayer can tap into it. Does that come out right? If God is capable of doing it, prayer is a route to see that happen. So if you can imagine what God can do, then prayer is part of that, and one of the things that Willard says, says prayer is so powerful, it cannot be left entirely in our hands. Because when you're praying, you're bringing into or engaging or entering a realm of power that throws the cosmos into place. And I love his question, do you want me to have that kind of power unchecked? That's a whole different conversation. And I think one of the things that we start with is we start praying about things that we're concerned about. Putting into practice without waiting till we're desperate. As I was reading the book of Nehemiah this week, just reminded again as Nehemiah and you can go read that. One of the greatest leaders, if you want to read leadership, if that's the right way to say it in, in Scripture. 
When Nehemiah had heard about the walls in Jerusalem, he wept and he prayed and he fasted. But he began to try to recruit. He went on the midnight ride of those who know the story and and he looked at the walls. When he began to recruit people, people were not very interested in it until he said, hey, we're going to build these walls. And I'm paraphrasing here. And there's going to be gaps. So what I'm going to encourage you to do is build the wall in front of your house. So when the enemy comes, the last place you want the enemy coming in is right in front of your house. So he tapped into something that was of interest to them. He tapped into something that concerned them specifically. They may not have been concerned about their neighbor three, three, you know, however far it was around the corner on the wall, but they were concerned about their family. And so they began to put in the work. They didn't wait till they were desperate and all of a sudden, man, I wish I'd been working on that wall a long time ago. They began to build the wall then because it affected them directly. As I said about prayer last week, uh, and, and I agree with Willard on this, sometimes you start with the things you're concerned about, the things that you and God are doing together. That's where you start. Then God obviously will expand. There's things I pray about now that would have never been concerned for me before if I'd never been in a relationship with him in prayer in the first place because he begins to expand my concerns. And now I pray about things that I'm not desperate necessarily about our country in the sense I've been praying for our country for a long time. But it may take desperate measures, if you will, as a group, a collective group to come together over our families. One of the biggest challenges for most of us, it's going to disrupt our schedule to pray. It's going to cause us to change the way we think. But I love what Seth Godin says. says, the difference between where you are now and where you were five years ago is largely due to how you spend your time along the way. The habits we grew become who we are. One minute at a time, a small thing repeated is not a small thing. Years ago, I would, before we moved to Arizona, I, and I'm going to put a, I told Jan, I said, I need to make sure and tie this, uh, tie a bow on the story I started last week that when we were in, San Antonio in 1997, praying about going to Africa. Going there for two years for the Church of the Nazarene and me flying all over Africa and my family living in Johannesburg. Uh, we did not do that. I just want to make sure and tie that bow on that because I <laughs> kind of left that hanging last week. We did not do that. But we were in a season of knowing God was changing us. The Lord had spoken to Jan and I, I believe, a year or so before that he was releasing us from Texarkana so we were praying and we were praying and we were praying. And here we were in 1997, knowing that we'd had opportunities to go to Orlando and Africa and Ohio and Kansas City and larger church, all this kind of things. And we just didn't know because we kept turning them down and thinking the Lord would say no to us. So we came out and visited in Arizona. And there's a lot of things that go around that there that, that were of, of the Lord that was pretty eye-opening. But one of the things was when we got back from interviewing at Crossroads in 1997 down in Chandler. I went out, and I believed the only thing I knew to do 
And it's one of the things I've, I've read in leadership the other day, and, and again, you take this for what it's worth. You can get all the information you want, and that information can take you to 90 to 95%. But as a leader, there's a last 5 to 10% you do by yourself. You need to be alone. You need the Lord to direct you in. So I took off, and I told Jan, I said, I'm taking, my, I'm taking water, a boombox, <laughs> and uh, my Bible, and I'm going to Kostat River. And those who know where I'm from, I have those pictures up there. One of my favorite places in the United States is where I was raised, and that's on the Kostat River. And that the Kostat means, the a Native American word for Kostat is skull crusher, okay? And the reason is those rapids are, when, they're, when the water's running, they're level four, level five. People die there on a regular, unfortunate, regular basis. Uh, but I, that was the place I was going to go, and I said, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back till I know what we're supposed to do because I knew that it wasn't just the fact of even what house we would live in. Lifting, picking my family up knew I was leaving my home, be the first one in, in my family that was going to leave that part of the country of Texarkana, Arkansas area and move that far away. And of course, when I went to tell my mom, I told her, I said, Mom, we've been praying about moving to Africa, but we're not. <laughs> we're moving to Arizona. So... But I knew the only way I could get clarity, and it's part of the reason I'd already had this, I wasn't desperate, it was just part of my practice. But I knew I needed to step away and fast and pray. And out of that, I no question in my mind, the Lord told us to move here. Because even that first year, and there's been times since, especially that first year, when even one of our, our oldest child hated living here and wanted to go back, that part was never in question. We knew we we're supposed to be here. Now we just got to figure out and pray through how this all unfolds. But that part was done. That part's answered. That part's behind us. Because I knew the Lord had spoken. And I think for me, over the years is not waiting till I'm desperate as a parent, desperate as a father too, but like I said, and as a mother. We don't wait till we're desperate. Put into practice now. Now. So when those times come, and they're coming, you're already in the groove. Because small things added up over time not a small thing. We could go a lot of different re- ways with that, I know, but I'm talking about prayer specifically this morning. But one of the things, as I read that story of Jehoshaphat, that I was reminded that all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood before the Lord. And the people sang and sang praises of his holiness. I don't know, as I was sharing with Josiah, how we wanted to end this morning. And I know, again, we... 
running short on time, but I'm going to ask Josiah and him to come down as we close this morning. Because one of the things that I would like to see us close with, and probably a little awkward, as these families came this morning to bring their children, and as we stated what we stated as what our commitment to them, I'm going to ask us first to stand, if you would, please, if you're able, if you're able. We're going to close with the song this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to close with the song. And I'm going to ask if you feel comfortable to move towards the front, and we will stand together as a family. And we're going to sing together. We live in a world today that I cannot imagine doing this by myself. Even with now, my kids are grown, or my and Jan's kids are grown. Man, I pray for them more. They got, they're bringing more people into the world. <laughs> There's a lot of things. Uh, and I can't imagine doing it without the church. I really genuinely cannot. I'm pretty independent. Jan and I both are extremely independent. If you know us, we can do things on our own. And I can get myself in trouble with the Lord on that. I I get it. But I cannot imagine raising our kids and now our grandkids without this community. And as I read that, there was just this picture of mine of all the people coming. And singing. As Jehoshaphat reminded him, the creator of the universe, <laughs> the almighty God, whether you answer our prayers or not, the way we're praying it, our eyes will be upon you. He said, whether famine <laughs> or whether victory, our eyes are upon you. So I'm going to ask you to come, those who would, and if you don't feel comfortable, I sure understand that, and there could be all kinds of reasons, but we're going to stand down here close together, and uh, I'm going to pray for us, Lord, I come before you today knowing this is a little awkward. Lord, I never imagined even way back when, as we even sang Amazing Grace today. Couldn't even sing it. It meant nothing to me. But now, Lord, I can't sing it loud enough. But, Lord, I come before you today as one who's just trying to help your people lean in a little more. To step in to this conversation not only with the almighty God who, who just asks us, invites us in presence and, and in partnership but we as a group just coming today Lord asking that you will inhabit our praise 
as we sing in unison of what you have done for us. You had those folks going out front talking of your holiness. Lord, as my friend from many years ago became an evangelist for laying on of hands in prayer, <laughs> let us be evangelists for the God that we just say, Lord, whatever comes, our eyes upon you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Josiah.